So I think we all can agree that our minds are sort of a messy place. Our minds uh, are the source of so much of our confusion and suffering. So if we want to escape being victims of our mind, it really helps to understand how our mind works. Now fortunately, Buddhist psychology has mapped out the human mind in great detail. And I find the model is very, very useful and has helped me a great deal in, help in seeing myself and also in working with other people and helping other people. And that model is um, partly the 12 links of dependent arising. So if we had a year or so, we could really dive into that. But we don't. We have, uh, we have one Dharma talk this morning. So let's, instead of trying to take on this whole big model of Buddhist psychology, let's look at it very, very simply, but also very directly. So I'd like to propose that we use a different map than the 12 links of dependent arising or the larger Buddhist psychology in which that's held. And, you know, a map is important because a map shows us where we're going. We all use our GPS now, and, and I'm absolutely bereft without my GPS to get me to places. Being dyslexic, I can't read a map uh, if it's upside down, if I'm not going north. So uh, it really helps me to have this map that's uh, a simple map on my GPS. It tells me just where to go. But, you know, the, the map is not the destination. Even on my GPS, my Google Maps, I can see pictures of where I'm going, which is very helpful, but it's not where I end up. I end up in a real physical place, and the map can only give me directions and a suggestion of what it is. So our mind map is the same way. It's, it's not useful unless it guides us to a destination, and also it isn't the destination itself. It's just a map. And we have to use that map to know the destination for ourselves. And that's really the only way we can know what the map has pointed us towards, is to know it for ourselves and touch it for ourselves. So when it comes to following a map of the mind, it really takes some dedication over time for that map to guide us there and for us to see the reality of our mind. But don't worry. You can do it. We're doing it all the time. And the destination is really beautiful. It's joy. So it's worth the trip. So the map that I'd like to use today, and it just uses two things. Instead of 12 links of our mind, it uses two, perception and evaluation. And I really want to thank um, Charlotte Joko Beck, uh, who was a Zen teacher uh, in San Diego. She died in 2011. Uh, and, 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 and she inspired me. She uses these exact words, perception and evaluation. So I really want to honor her uh, for, uh, for guiding me in this way, to see my own mental map in this way. So this mind of ours has two basic operations. One is perception. And when I mean perception, I mean whatever enters through the senses. Our mind is like the nerve center, literally the nerve center of everything that we perceive. 
it all ends up coming back through our senses into our brain and into our mind. And in the West, we've traditionally thought of five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. That's what, we, that's what we're taught when we're in first or second grade, that those are the senses. But there, you know, we're learning that that's not the whole picture anymore. So for instance, in Buddhist, um, in Buddhist psychology, the mind is itself a sense. You know, just as the eyes relay sights, the mind relays thoughts. So it functions a lot like a sense organ in addition to being where we think of as the destination of those perceptions. It also generates perceptions. But now scientists are thinking more broadly even about those five of the Western senses. So think about this for a second. You know, we can perceive where our body is and where the parts of our body are in space. That's a kind of perception that doesn't quite fall under those five. We have a sense of balance. We have a sense of velocity. We know when we're accelerating. We can feel it. We have a sense of movement through space. We, we know when our body's moving. I often, I often marvel at, at dancers, for instance, because they seem to have that sense so well refined. Uh, it's so beautiful to see them know exactly where their body is moving all the time. We have a sense of temperature as distinct from touch. You know, if you, if you reach out and when you're cooking your potatoes, you reach out and try and take the lid off and the lid is hot, your body will instantly feel that and pull back before you even have a chance to think about it. That's a different sense then than knowing that this is soft and this is rough when you touch it. So I'm just, I'm just bringing these up to broaden our idea of what sense perception is. It's a really very broad thing. And our mind is taking in an incredible amount of sense perception. Uh, there's been a lot of scientific work around this and the numbers vary. But one of the things, one of the numbers that seems like in the middle of this that I read recently the scientists are saying that our mind is taking in about 11 million inputs in any instant. 11 million. And of those 11 million, we're conscious of about 40. So there's a lot of perception going on that we're not aware of, that our, that our body and mind is processing outside of the conscious mind. So we have some control over what we pay attention to in terms of our sense perceptions. And this is one of the things that practice gives us the benefit of. We become more aware of the, of the sensations of our body. We're able to perceive more things, but we're certainly not going to be able to perceive 11 million at one time. So it's not like we get to the bottom of this by just being able to perceive everything. It's, it's simply not gonna happen. But we can, we can get better at it over time. So this leads me to, to see that we are very efficient perceiving machines. So let's, let's stop for a second and let's pay attention to 
to what we are perceiving right now in this moment. So take a moment, maybe come back into, into meditation and simply become aware of what you are perceiving through your senses. So would anyone like to uh, share what it is that they, they're perceiving? Um, the rain hitting the, the roof of the greenhouse just outside my window. I can hear it. The, the light coming in through the window that is in front of me and that I'm feeling cold. I closed my eyes. I saw John in negative. <laughs> well, I remember when I was beginning to practice mindfulness, I had this question a lot. Well, mindfulness of what? Is there a correct thing for me to be paying attention to? Is one of these perceptions the right one that I should be focusing on? I don't know if you've had that kind of question come up for yourself, but, but um, yeah, I, I used to wonder, well, what is the right thing to be paying attention to? I notice my mind can jump around a lot from perception to perception to perception. All right, well, for, you know, one moment I'm feeling cold, like, like Gail said. The next minute, you know, I, I, I feel my stomach is full. You know, the next minute I notice my... My legs are, are sort of sore from sitting for a long time. It just bounce, 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 bounce. But if we've got 11 million of them, there's a lot to bounce around uh, in. So this perceiving part of our mind is a really beautiful and useful thing that we have. It's, it's, it is our way of being in touch with just this. And that just this that I mentioned during our sitting as a mantra, as a gata. This is what we're doing. We are just this with perception. And it's this beautiful parade that, that comes and goes. It flows by us all the time. But unfortunately, our mind doesn't want to stay there. Our mind has another major function besides perception. And that's the function of evaluation. So when I use the word evaluation, it's kind of broad, so I want to distinguish. What I don't mean when I use this term evaluation is what I'll call the, the good kind of evaluation, the, the necessary things that we need to evaluate. You know, there, we, are, we would evaluate whether we take this action or that action. 
by weighing one against the other. You know, so do I turn left or turn right? That's an evaluation. Do I eat the apple or do I eat the orange? That's an evaluation. And, and those are necessary and, and good. The sort of evaluation that I want to talk about today is specifically of one type. And it's the evaluation that is ego-centered. So these are the kind of questions that are like this. Will this activity get me what I want or not? Will this person benefit me or not? Will this make me richer or not? Will this make me more famous or not? You know, it's, they're all focused on uh, our ego. So it's the kind of evaluation that says, is this to my benefit or not? And we do this all the time. All the time. So the trouble with this habitual evaluation like this is it robs us of our actual life. We go through lives grasping after personal gain rather than enjoying what's actually happening now. So our practice is about embracing perception. Now, evaluation is fine, but we tend to get caught there. And before we know it, we're on our deathbed and we spend our entire life simply judging this or that, whether it's a benefit to us or not. And we've missed our life. We've missed the sound of the birds. We've missed the smile of our grandchild. Because all we've been doing is um, evaluating whether those things are to our advantage or not. So um, we can think about, about this practice using a couple of other terms, and that would be mindfulness and concentration. So mindfulness is the art of consciously perceiving. When we're perceiving, we know that we are perceiving. When we see the blue sky, we know that we see the blue sky. And this is being mindful. When we see the green pasture, we know we see the green pasture. When we hear the neighbor's lawnmower, we know that we hear the neighbor's lawnmower. When we feel the pain of the arthritis in our left foot, we know that we feel the pain of the arthritis in our left foot. So that's what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is knowing what it is that's actually happening. It's knowing just this without allowing ourselves to be distracted by all that evaluation that usually occupies and clutters our mind. It's just this. So then concentration is extending that mindfulness through time. So with mindfulness, for instance, I can know that right now in this moment, there's a pain in my knee. But if I use concentration, that is knowing that the pain is there and watching it over time. Without concentration, my mind will then jump to the next 
object of perception and forget all about my knee. But concentration allows it to stay in one place. Ah, now I see the pain in my knee. I see that it's changing. Ah, I see that it's lessening. Oh, now I see that it's gone altogether. So that's mindfulness and concentration together. That's how we perceive. You know, when, when, it, when we think about it in terms of our meditation practice, we often come back to our breath because our breath is what's happening right now. Our breath is something that we can perceive. We don't think about it. We breathe it. We feel it. So in this moment, if you're mindful, you know that you have a breath coming in. And now you're mindful, you know how you have a breath going out. So concentration is not only knowing that we have this breath in and this breath out, but concentration knows that we are breathing over time. We are extending that breath to more than one breath. We are breathing and we're able to stay with the breathing over time. So mindfulness is this moment. Concentration extends that mindful moment. So let's do that for a second. Let's, let's come back to our breath and let's notice the perception of our breath coming in and coming out. We're mindful of this breath. Now as we do that, let's extend this to be mindful of our breathing. Breath in and out. In and out. In and out. So to help us with this, you know, we have concentration practices. One of, the, one of the things we do to extend our mindfulness into concentration is not simply to be aware of this breath, but to count our breath. So we can say in, out, one. In, out, two. This extends our breathing awareness into concentration. Okay. So this is all well and good, <clears throat> but that evaluative function finds this very boring. I mean, what could be worse for the evaluative mind than to stop evaluating and just sit there and follow the breath? Boring. What's it got to do? So it's always jumping in and asking questions. Well, what's in this for me? How does this benefit me? Why should I sit here and follow this breath? What good is this doing? What have I got to gain from just sitting here all day listening to the jets go over? Boring. So this concentration is an acquired skill and it allows us to calm down that evaluative function so that we can stay with things like our breath or being with our emotions over time. So at first, it's very difficult. 
we, we can't stay with our mindfulness for very long at all. And that's okay. We're not, our mind's not used to it. We might get one breath in and out, and then we jump right to evaluation. Ugh, I have to do that again. So we keep coming back to this object of perception again and again and again, and we train our mind to stay in one place without being caught in that evaluation. I like, I like this analogy. I, I've used it before. It's like training a puppy not to piddle all over the house. You know, you have a new puppy and you put the newspapers down on the kitchen floor and when the puppy starts to piddle, you, you pick up the puppy and immediately put the puppy on the papers. And the puppy's piddling and wanders off the papers, you know, so you pick them back up and put them back on again. And over time, the puppy begins to know that there's a place to piddle and not every place to piddle. And it's kind of like that with our minds, you know, we're, we're, we're showing our minds how to concentrate, that it, that it, it wants to go all over everywhere, but let's come back to the newspaper and sit on the newspaper for a while and let our minds stay there. So that's, that, is what, that is what developing this concentration is. And it helps us stay with the perception part of our minds. Hmm. So why would we do all this? What's the point? Right. Why should we get good at this? You know, Juby, I was, I was thinking uh, that you and I have been sitting together meditating at least once a week for 15 years. And if we sat two meditation periods, each one of those times we've been together, that means we've, we've sat 1,500 meditation periods together, approximately. Why would we do that? <laughs> what have we gained? Well, luckily, we've gained nothing. Nothing. And that's the point. Um, <clears throat> when, what happens is when we can live in this act of simple perception rather than in our evaluative mind, we, are, we find ourselves less and less fighting against things as they are. We can rest in just this. You know, when I offered that gata for our sitting, the gata in, on our in-breath, just this, and the out-breath, add nothing. The add nothing part is what our mind, our evaluative mind wants to do. But it's such a relief to let go of that. We learn that we have enough right now in this moment, perceiving things as they are. We have enough. We are enough, we find, to meet what the world needs. We are enough. In fact, we're more than enough. We are the unique gift that the world needs. And we find this simply by living in perception rather than evaluation. And we can think of living in perception as being awake. We are being awake to our lives. We're being awake to the way things are. Even if we don't like them, there's still joy there. Because we know we can be with it. 
Ajahn Chah, that great Thai forest teacher, said, if you let go a little, you have a little joy. If you let go a lot, you have a lot of joy. If you let go completely, you'll have complete joy. And what he means to let go of here is that evaluative function of our mind. And we find that when we do that, there is great joy. There's great joy in being able to hear the military jets go over without the judgment associated with them. We can just hear them as a sound instead of wrapping ourselves up in judgment. Anger, why are they doing that? Why is that rattling my window? We can just go, oh, and hear the jet. There's joy there. So I want to leave us with a, with a quote from Dogen. And this quote is a famous quote, and it's, it's, been the, it's, it's been the heart of many people's practice for a long time. So I'll read the quote, and then I'll, 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 I'll give a little explanation of it. But Dogen was a 13th century Japanese Zen master and a real, a real genius. He wrote in a way that was broad and deep, and, and he was the founder of Soto Zen, which is the most popular sort of Zen in the West right now. So Dogen wrote this, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. When actualized by the myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the body and mind of others, drop away. No trace of realization remains. And this trace continues endlessly. So he was talking about what we're talking about in different language. So let me put it this way. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. What else do we have to study? We don't really know anything else. We don't have direct access to anything but our self. So we turn that light of study right inside ourself. So to study the Buddha way is to study ourself. And to study ourself reveals that this evaluative self is a prison. We begin to see that we are evaluating things all the time, and it gets us nowhere, and it ties us in knots, and it wastes our life. We only get to see that if we look for ourselves. If I say these words, it doesn't matter at all. But if we see that for ourselves, ah, now we know the self. So then when we know that, we let go of that self, right? We let go. And that allows us to look out and see all those things that we are perceiving that we thought were separate from me because we were evaluating them all the time. No, they are not separate from me at all. They are me. They absolutely are me. I created a, an illusion of separation with all those evaluations. And when you see that, this is enlightenment. And this enlightenment belongs to no one and has no end. It's not your enlightenment. 
it doesn't belong to that ego mind that was doing all the evaluation that gets to say, all right, now I'm, I'm enlightened. No one else is, but I am. No, it doesn't happen. That's not the way it works. That ego mind does not get enlightened and get to enjoy it and get to parade it around and wear a brown jacket that says, oh, look at me. Right? No, it belongs to no one. And it is and it belongs to everyone. And it won't end when you end. So our practice is to return to just this. Just this. Add nothing. Just this. Add nothing. Just this. Add nothing. 